and welcome to our first episode of season seven. Woo! Yay! This is uh, King's Landing. I'm Laurel, and with me is Kate, as usual. We'll kind of do initial reactions first, probably, but before we really get into the episode, um, I just really quickly wanted to mention that you're getting the best of both worlds from Kate and I, because I watched the episode, took really frantic notes, passed out right after it was done because I was exhausted because I had to get up at 5.30 to work that morning. Um, and then today I didn't really have the opportunity to go back and look at anything. Um, so all of my notes and reactions are just kind of gut reaction, impulsive, not a lot of reflection. And Kate, I'm sure, tell us how you have taken notes and spent the last 24 hours. Okay. So I watched the episode initially last night, and I took notes that ended up, they weren't that thorough, but I mentioned, I had notes on every scene, and there were lots of expletives, so I went through and did a rewatch this morning, and kind of took more detailed notes, and toned down my expletives, Mm -hmm. so what you're getting is my notes, um, purely, um, both for my first reaction and my kind of having time to sit and let it ruminate. (laughs) So that is what my notes are. Perfect. I think it's a good combination. And we worked really hard to not talk to each other about this. So hard. Until now. (laughs) It was really difficult. Last night we both were like messaging each other during the episode, but only super vague. Like I would be like, she did that, (laughs) exclamation points. And that's it. So... Yeah, We're really keeping my feelings talk. in for this long has been very hard. Yes. I, I feel alive. This episode made me feel alive at the beginning of the season. And so I just, it's been bursting out. So I'm so excited so that I can channel it now. Let's not <laughs> wait any longer and go ahead and start. Um, so just starting really quick with that recap that they did at the beginning. I thought that was the best they've ever done. Um, but, mm-hmm, I, sure. I loved how they went back through and my favorite thing to do is to like write down each character who gets featured in the previously on because you know they're going to be important in that um, so I remember while I was watching it I was really intrigued that there was so much time spent on the hound and then this episode it all made sense did you have anything to say about the recap uh, my first reaction to the recap was to not watch it because I was like no, I totally know what's going on because we've been watching, we've been reading, and I know everything. And then I figured out that I missed some things during my first watch. So this morning when I watched it again, I took the time and actually like watched it. And I was blown away by, in particular, the cut between, um, was it Arya cutting the throat of Walder Frey last season in in season six interspersed with Catelyn's um, throat being cut at the Red Wedding. Maybe it's worth mentioning that Laurel and I have not rewatched all of the seasons. Before the season started, I rewatched seasons five and six. Yeah. So that's the extent of my, like, reflection. (laughs) And I actually have not rewatched it just because, um, like, ever. I've never rewatched a season um, maybe an episode mm-hmm. here or there, but I've never fully rewatched a season. So, um, whenever Kate and I do our massive rewatch before season eight, that'll be really exciting for me. So within the episode, there were things that you needed to reference earlier episodes. So what I've done is actually gone back and I watched the pertinent parts of those episodes to make sure that I was reporting back on what it was referencing accurately. So if I say something like it happened in season whatever and episode whatever I've actually like done the work and seen it awesome I'm really glad you did that because all of my notes are just all (laughs) capitals with a lot of fucks (laughs) mine was a lot of shit (laughs) well that's really apt given Sam's plot line but we'll get to that oh god (laughs) okay so We started with a cold open, which was awesome, because uh, when a cold open happens, you know it's going to be something super exciting, and exciting it was. Um, We basically had Walder Frey giving a speech to all the important Freys about 
his upcoming plans, and then it turned out it wasn't actually Walter Frey. When did you figure it out? Immediately. Okay, good. Me too. I'm, I'm worried that some people might have thought it was a flashback. Yes, so, that's what my brother so, thought, because he was watching yeah. with me. I remember when we saw that he, the actor, was going to be in this season, we both immediately thought, oh no, it's going to be Arya, not a flashback. So we, we called that, um, even though we didn't have that in our predictions episode. That was something I remember you and I both High discussing. Five. Yes. <laughs> um, but I'm not counting it as an official called it, because yeah. we didn't mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I thought this was a really awesome scene. I was sitting there just like basically screaming internally because it was so epically done. Um, I thought the actor did an incredible job of kind of mimicking some of Arya's um, mannerisms and watching the phrase realize what was happening after they drank the poison was really exciting. Um, I totally think this was just revenge. And I also really appreciated the subtlety of keeping the young wife, young girl from drinking. Yeah, um, just to touch base on that real quick, the only people present during that were the men who were drinking. Yes. So Arya specifically may have made the decision to only include the quote-unquote guilty parties so none of the women or children were present, which I think exactly. is really good. It was a, it was a very good choice, um, but also it does make me wonder – is this young girl now going on to want to seek revenge? That's kind of a hanging thread in my mind. I didn't question that at all. Um, to me, the goal was just to have all of the men wiped out so that the succession, because all of the root of all of that evilness was in Walder and all of his sons, all of the men. No, that's very true. I just, I wondered, given the focus in her speech on revenge... It was interesting to me that she left survivors because she talked about you don't want to leave survivors. Um, So for my notes in this section, Mm -hmm. um, I think my favorite highlight is, okay, so who had all the phrase on the death pool? Not us. On their death pool. (laughs) We didn't have any phrase on our death pool. Big big omission. Oops. Our bad. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah, that, that was good. Um, oh, and really quickly, I did want to say that Kate and I, when we hung out this weekend, which we did, we got to see each other, which was super fun, we both kind of talked about the fact that we both had, were going out of our way to not listen to some of our favorite podcasts until after we record ours, um, for the season, so neither of us had listened to any season seven prediction episodes, and, Mm -hmm. uh, we're not listening to any episode one reviews until after we record ours yeah so, or um, read think pieces on the internet of which there are many exactly. so i've just read all of the twitter and all of the memes <laughs> instead yes <laughs> so um what you're getting from us is fresh and entirely ours so hopefully um while there probably will be some overlap you'll maybe we'll come up with some things that are a little unique fingers crossed so i just wanted to mention the overlap between the poison use so we now have Arya using it because she learned it from the faceless men but we know the Dornish are actually also quite fond of poison so I am predicting right now we're going to see poison come up a few more times both in this season and the next season because that's a it's a good um, trump card to have interesting especially for Arya as she's disadvantaged by being only one person so if you need an army, as this demonstrates, it can be quite effective. Also, she mentioned something about a wolf. So I think Nymeria is coming this season. I, I believe I've already called that, but yes. this for sure has put it firmly in my mind. We're going to see Nymeria. I'm so excited because that gif of her hugging Nymeria in season one just warms my heart. I know. And I need to see more. Ready to move on to uh, the next scene? Yeah. Okay, so when this started, I totally thought it was the ocean. Am I alone in that? Yeah. It looked like waves to me. 
And so I was sitting there looking at this black cloud, and I was like, oh my god, it's Euron, it's Euron, or is it dragons and smoke on the ocean? And then, like, we got into the smoke, and then the White Walkers and everyone were coming, and I was like, oh, how did I think that was the ocean? You're waiting for Euron's big baddie moment. I yes. immediately knew it was the White Army because it came to, like, the storm part of the Night's King's abilities came to mind. And so I yeah. was able to identify that. That makes sense. So that was a really chilling scene. <laughs> I think the most exciting part of this for me, I, you might agree with me, is the White Giants. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to say about that? So I, like I said, I went back and looked at some pertinent episode um, parts because upon first and second watch, I was not convinced that the giant that they zoom in on the face of was not 1-1. So I zoomed in and I went back to season six to double check. It is not 1-1. It is also, and then I went back to season four. It is not Mag the Mighty who died in the tunnel with Gren. So these are just three giants that the Whites happen to have who are affiliated with the Wildlings based on their clothing um, because many of the Whites were dressed in Wildling clothing, so I'm assuming they're all mostly from Hardhome. So don't worry about your favorite giants. They were not involved in this. I'm glad you did that research because I was wondering about it. So I love the flow of the scene, how it goes from the Night's King to the Whites and then to the Giants. Uh, And notably, for the first time that we've ever seen him, the Night King has his sword out because it's usually on his back. So, ready to move on to Bran at the Wall? Called it. (laughs) Okay, cool. (laughs) Called it. Well, it's interesting to me because I remember wondering if he would have trouble getting Mm -hmm. to the wall or not. Um, And so that question is solved also i know at the end of last season a lot of people were predicting that bran would be the reason the wall comes down i know i was one of those people yeah do you want to explain that theory a little bit in case people hadn't listened to it Mm -hmm. so in keeping again with the door episode when bran is touched by the knight's king in his vision knight king excuse me so that touch breaks the protective spells that they have around the tree, which is why the Whites and the White Walkers are able to infiltrate that area. And the theory was that same magic would apply to the wall because the wall has those same magical protection or similar magic protections. And so the theory was as soon as Bran enters in, the threshold will similarly be broken. Now, the wall did not fall in this episode, but we don't have any evidence that the magical spells did in fact hold up because we find out that the White Walkers and the White Army is actually not around the wall at the moment. So, to be determined, it could be scary if the magical protections were just broken and we didn't see it. (laughs) So, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, well, this means that Bran passing through the wall isn't enough to make it come down, but... It hasn't disproven the theory yet. Yeah. Um, And as far as Mira and uh, Bran, I'm predicting that they're likely to stay at the Wall slash Castle Black for at least part of episode two, but I think they're heading to Winterfell. Well, we know from the trailer that Bran does make it to Winterfell, and we also know from the trailer that Jon goes north of the Wall. So it'll be interesting to see why those things happen. And I still predict that it'll have something to do with John wanting to find Benjen. But we shall see. Mm. Um, so other thoughts about this scene? I thought the interaction with Dollar's Ed was kind of interesting. Um, I thought that Bran was kind of a dick, but whatever. Like, yeah, I don't know, his dialogue felt stilted. Yeah, it was very weird because Ed, what happens in the scene again is Ed's basically like, well, prove that you're a Bran Stark because, like, there's no proof. You're just a kid in a sled. Yeah. And he says all of this stuff that he knows because he's the Three-Eyed Raven. And that enough is, that's enough for Ed to be at least intrigued, although if he's convinced that Bran is actually Bran Stark. 
to be determined. Yeah. So this is going to be round one of my one of my major complaints about this episode, which is that a I didn't like most mm. of the dialogue. I felt that it was not up to par in terms of the writing of the show mm. in the past. I understand one explanation of it is that they're trying to move the plot along quickly, um, but they made a lot of gaffes, I think, in having characters know things where it's like, how does this person know that? And I'll, I'll point at them out in other scenes, but it's mm-hmm. like, if this person knows what they're saying, they know, then we missed out on some really important conversations here. Um, okay. So the fact that Dollar Ed would know that Bran's, you know, omnipotence is enough to prove that he's Bran, like, that just didn't ring true to me, but we'll mm-hmm. see. That's a good point. Again, that's something that can be cleared up in the next episode, or the next episode that we see Brandon Ed in. Yeah. Just the only comment I have is something that John and Arya were saying all the way back in the book Game of Thrones, which is different roads sometimes lead to the same castle. So, I, I'm feeling the Winterfell intersection Winterfell. Here. Cool. <laughs> um... So now we go on to John. Oh, yes. To open it all up, I want to take note of the fact that John was talking about Dragonglass, which is important, as we'll see later in the episode. He basically did the whole, let me tell the audience why they should be paying attention to gra- Dragonglass and any future mention of it in this episode thing. Exposition speeches. Yay. <laughs> Yay, John. Thanks for that update. I can tell y'all all about Dragon Glass. Yeah, I was like sitting there, I was like, I bet Kate is screaming right now. So, do you want to talk about Liana? <gasps> can I? Yes. Okay, so she has, you can complain about some parts of this episode where the dialogue was lacking. Liana was not. I agree 100%. <laughs> this speech was fantastic. And I love the framing that her major complaint was the use of language. No, no, no. The best part of the speech is I'm just not going to sit by the fire knitting. Yes! Because what do you knit with, guys? Say it with me. One, two, three. Needles! (laughs) And who has our favorite needle? Yes. Arya. So who needs to be best friends? Guys. BFFs right here, Arya, Liana, make it happen. Well, I season seven. Another thing I loved was <laughs> watching Brienne watch Liana. Oh yeah, hard eyes. Her her facial expressions were just so perfect because she's like seeing the next generation be allowed to do what she had to break the barriers down for. Absolutely. So I thought that was a really sweet kind of passing the torch of feminism in Westeros moment. Yeah, and then. Alice Karstark. Oh, yeah. Can we talk about her like, sword? I know. They gave a girl a sword. They gave a girl a sword. They gave her a sword. They let her inherit. So the North is really changing. This is creating precedence Amen. for Sansa to inherit. Am I wrong? Amen, sister. Sansa yes. will Winterfell. Yeah. And speaking of female representation, I wanted to mention how during the course of this interaction, it's not only a speech by John. But Sansa also speaks up. And so I wanted to talk about whose strategy is better. And the specific thing they're talking about is, so these, the Car Starks and the Umbers specifically fought with Ramsay. Those, the leaders of those two houses, the men died fighting. So who does their castle get inherited by? Sansa says, switch it up, put in your royal houses so there's a reward for fighting on your side and John says no I want to honor the old way and just because your parents screw something up doesn't mean that their children have to be accountable for that when I watched this at first I remember agreeing with Sansa especially Mm -hmm. she says something like if there's no punishment and no reward why would anyone do what like break their vows um and but then when I thought about it I think I do agree with John more because his point, which is I will not punish the son for the father's crime, mm-hmm. I think that's also really, really important. So I don't know if one of them is right or not. I think they both make really good points. One of my questions here is, is this fight staged? Are they purposely at odds with each other already? Or Based on the conversation they have after, I don't think it was staged. 
my I, I that's kind of my gut, but I also do want to say that it's possible they know that Peter has spies watching them, so they continue this fight mm-hmm. wherever they're seen in public. Um, we'll see, but I, I do think that we're going to come to a place where they're they are staging things for Peter's benefit. I just don't know if it's begun yet or not. Yeah. Um, something that I did miss in this, um, in these two scenes were ghosts. So we get dragons this episode, but no direwolves. So yeah. Yay. But also, exactly. Sad face. Um, also, what did you think about John's comparison of Sansa to Cersei? Oh, that was really interesting. So they do call both of each, call each other out on their weaknesses. This was the best line in this. You have to be smarter than father or Rob was because they made stupid mistakes. And that's what fans have been wanting to say to John for literally seven years. Yeah. <laughs> I was also going to ask you, like, do you think that this is indicative that John hasn't learned his lesson? Because here's another example of someone, Sansa, giving him sage advice. And rather than going, huh, you have some good points. Let's talk it out further. He goes, no, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm going to do what I was going to do. How dare you go against me in front of people? So it's frustrating well, to see that. Well, he starts out that way. Yeah. But then he still goes on and compares her to Cersei. So I still think he's acting relatively as an immature leader. I don't know. And Sansa's response to you remind me of Cersei is, well, I learned a lot from her. Yeah. And I think Sansa has the self-awareness that maybe John is lacking at the moment. All of the self-awareness that John is lacking at the moment is knowing what parts of Cersei's manipulations and power strategies were good and which benefited her and which were bad and were detrimental to her power. Exactly. And Sansa is smart enough now that she can def- she can pick those out. Exactly. And she's starting to use those. She already has used them. Uh, can I just say that this this scene um, out after their conversation, because I thought like the war room conversation was great, but this post-conversation outside was one of the first ones where I was just like, oh, this writing isn't that good. This dialogue isn't <laughs> that good. What What's going on? Like, I thought they acted well and delivered the lines well. I was just kind of wincing at some of the lines. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm a nitpicker, but I want high-quality writing in my favorite TV show. No, absolutely. I'm not – I haven't given up yet. I really did enjoy this episode, so I'm trying hard not to make it sound like I'm just shitting on everything. Yeah. We're Um, not complaining that much. Yeah, I just – I will always vocalize points of frustration I had while I was watching the show. That's all. What do John and Sansa do about Cersei's request to pay her fealty at King's Landing? Oh, Yeah. Um, this is interesting because they are continuing in episode one here to set it up as if Cersei's going to be the big enemy that everyone has to face. We'll see about that is all I have to say. (laughs) I think that they're going to send an emissary down, but I don't know who it will be. And of course, Jon has been declared king in the north, so this is a legitimate concern of Cersei's. Do you know what I would do if I was Sansa? (laughs) I would promise Littlefinger my hand in marriage if he acted as an emissary to Cersei Ooh, for Ooh, good move. Good move. Because you're going to expect that Cersei will kill whoever you send down there to say, we're not bending the knee. And you can guarantee Peter won't betray you if you promise him the one thing that he wants. Oh. But Sansa still doesn't want to marry him. She won't in the end. Well, no, you'll figure it out if he makes it back alive. You'll figure out what to do instead. But... That would be my move, is all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm Very, very interesting. Peter is... <laughs> that would be right up Peter's alley. Yeah, because he is a... He... Uh, I don't know if Cersei even knows that he's not on her side anymore. No. She is completely unaware. So, yeah, he would be a good a good choice for that. I like it. I, I think that's going to happen. That would okay. be cool. Uh, moving on, then, we go to King's Landing... Hey, shout out. Hey, <laughs> it's us. Um, I don't know. This scene to me was the worst of all of them in terms of the terrible writing of the dialogue. So, I don't know. It was it was difficult for me to watch at parts. But, again, me, the acting was great. It wasn't about dialogue. It was about the feeling of 
all of these personalities coming together for the first time. Yeah. And also the aftermath, because this episode is pretty much immediately after 6.10. So... I can make... For me, I wasn't bothered. I can point out a couple things as we get to them in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing that really stood out with me is that Jamie and Cersei are alone. There are no courtesans. There are no... Yeah. Like, advisors. There's no small council. It is just the two of them in the Red Keep. And that was really, really poignant. And then I thought it was really interesting that Jamie opened on, like, she's like, are you angry at me? Or... Are you afraid of me? Mm. And he goes, should I be? Mm-hmm. So he says that basically around, he's like, I might be afraid of you. I think that I might have reason to, which is interesting. You can really see their dynamic change in the scene from lovers to allies because there are no romantic mm. overtones whatsoever. That's a good point. I didn't even think mm-hmm. about that because it's just so far off from the vibe. Um, yeah. So the first thing I want to mention in terms of frustration in <laughs> people knowing things they shouldn't know. You really think Cersei knows Jamie's the one who let Tyrion go and Jamie is still alive? Really? She mentions you were the one who let Tyrion free. You're responsible for our father's death. Just like casually as an aside. Jamie keeps that secret to like the end in the book because he knows how Cersei would react. So it's completely a cop-out to me to assume that she would know something like that. It didn't bother me that she knows and was able to... Maybe that's a component to the fear that Jamie has is because that's underlying now. Because I think that even in the books, Cersei would give Jamie, would allow Jamie to keep his life for that. It just... It really rubbed me the wrong way. It felt like really... Uh just how do I put it lazy writing almost maybe uh this was consistent Cersei and Jamie do not know about the Queen of Thorns meeting with Obara and Varys yet so I suppose that's a good thing um and also you know they are totally unaware that their attempts to take Highgarden that that would fail that there's that alliance now. They do set us up to assume that Old Town is where they're going to strike first as Lannisters. Just as as an example of my frustration with the writing, that whole conversation about Tommen was just so lacking depth and subtlety where she's like, I'm glad he died. He was a traitor. And I love my children, but now I'm on my own, and it's oh, just Oh, the us. flesh and blood comment. Their yeah, ashes, like, and now we're flesh and blood. That did not ring like, true. I'm it sorry. It was not. Yes. <laughs> that's not how a mother talks about her dead children, even Cersei. Like, and then Jamie's responses. It, everything in that conversation was just so pity yeah. and not, it not Game of Thrones. most to her in the world. Her children were literally why she yeah. was alive. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, I know different people write every episode, and I didn't look to see who this wrote this episode. This was David and Dan. I checked. Oh. Ugh. Yeah. Well Sorry, then. guys. How many episodes do they write in this season? Several. Ugh. I thought everything else about this episode was flawless. Just the dialogue really was jarring. Yeah. Okay, throne room. Cool. Let's distract ourselves. <laughs> um... Oh, wait, I have one more comment from that. Um, They're talking about Walter Frey getting killed at the Twins. And they say, whoever killed him is no friend of ours. (laughs) And we know who killed him is Arya. That also, to me, it was a really unsubtle hint that Arya's coming to King's Landing to kill the Queen. Like, that was just like a sledgehammer of a foreshadowing statement. I don't know. Okay, throne room. I have to give credit where credit is due. At Michelle Clapton, your costumes are the bomb. Oh my god. You're on Cersei's dress in this scene. He's a hot pirate in tight leather pants. Cersei's wearing a dress that is literally armor. Like, ugh. And Jamie is wearing his actual armor. I love these costumes. So, this is also going to be one of my first called it's, which is a new segment I'm proposing, which is. (laughs) 
Anytime that I screamed, called it at the TV so loudly that my boyfriend got annoyed at me, um, I marked it down with a little asterisk. Um, so the moment that there, Euron is like basically saying what I want is a queen, or Cersei says um, mm-hmm. what he wants is a queen, yeah, I screamed, I called it, which is super <laughs> fun, because I did, in fact, call that they were going to ally with the wedding. But then, damn, Cersei was amazing that she rejected Euron's proposal right there. She's like, you're yeah. not trustworthy. Prove yourself. Yeah, she's definitely planning on the long run here, and she wants a nice little dowry. Um, because... Well, little? I have, I have a very good idea of what this gift is. Do you? Because I thought I did, too. Okay. Um... Do you want to say it at the same time? No, because I think it's different. So, a priceless gift? That's going to be a dragon. Tyrion. Mmm. I don't think so. I mean, it would play into that conversation that Jamie and Cersei were having, but I'm, I'm thinking it's a dragon because I know that I have a strong feeling in my gut that our next episode is going to be our first battle episode. And it's going to be yeah. probably the naval battle, if I had to guess. I, yeah, I think it's going to be that, and I think it's going to be at Old mm-hmm. Town. But I think, so I don't think that Tyrion is going to die this season. No. I don't think Euron's actually going to do bring Tyrion. I could see, actually, it happening where Euron gets Tyrion, Jamie realizes what's about to happen. Jamie kills Cersei before she can kill Tyrion and then dies somehow. I don't that would be tragic. That, I could see that happening. I could see Jamie sacrificing himself for Tyrion. But to me, that's immediately where my head went because I know she's broadcast that she wants Tyrion's head. And then in between possible. all but, of that, we need to have a neat tie-in with Brienne and Jamie as well. Exactly. So. Uh, but... Now that you mentioned dragons, like, I hadn't even thought of that. Maybe that I was being blind there. But in terms of the word priceless, yes, I, I could see where that would make sense. I mean, well. Tyrion is a dragon. What he says right before he says he'll bring her a priceless gift is that line where she goes, you murdered your own brother, and he goes, you should try it. So I think to the casual viewer, they'll assume Tyrion is what she, he's talking about because she, everyone knows Cersei wants to murder Tyrion. Which is also why I think my brain went to the fact that he'd be bringing her Tyrion. So now we're in Old Town. And I've seen a lot of people, pun intended, shitting on this on the internet. (laughs) But I really liked the montage, the, the quick montage bit. It's just something we haven't seen in Game of Thrones before. And I like that they bring in new, um, cinematography styles i don't know how best to call it i'm not a film person you did it excellently (laughs) um i thought it was funny um i laughed out loud a couple times and i thought it was also very representative of kind of a interesting um mirror to aria's time as an acolyte yes where you want to be this thing and then you realize the training of it isn't as fun as you expected and then we meet Marwin. Did they give him a name in this episode? I wasn't sure because I was just so excited that I realized like I wasn't actually listening to words. Wait, one, two, three. We, we called, called it. it. I was screaming so loud at this point because like, again, I don't know if this had been leaked or spoiled or all and everyone else is like, yeah, we knew that he was playing Marwin like months ago. But Kate and I sat down and had like a 30-minute conversation where we went through every character who he could possibly play in the season, and we settled on Marwyn, and we were right. Okay, so you've complained a little bit Mm -hmm. so far (laughs) about this episode. This is where I have my complaint. I am very happy that we have Marwyn because he is a key character in the books. I really think that they should have stuck to the book and how they're doing it, where yeah. Sam meets Marwyn on his first day, 
And then Marwin shows them the dragon glass candle and leaves because yeah. he's like, I got to get to Danny. I can see that complaint. I totally feel that. Um, I guess what it confirms to me is that Marwin's going to be important enough in the books where they wanted a representation of him in the show. Yeah. But his side plot is not going to be something that is able to be mirrored in the show for whatever reason. Maybe it has something to do with Aegon, who doesn't mm. exist in the show. Right. I don't know. Um, but I also, I love this the dialogue in this scene, so I don't have any complaints on that. In fact, um, the <laughs> scene, the part where he goes through and, like, logically explains why he does believe Sam, I thought yeah. was fantastic. <laughs> I really liked that. That was cool. Yeah. Um, well, with the, Jim Broadbent, you don't give him throwaway lines because he's not the series oh, regular yeah. well I also I wrote down quite a few lines that I was just like oh this is great like we are this world's memories mm-hmm. and that whole section where he's talking about the fact that humans are only humans because we write down and remember things and how mistakes are made if we don't look back on the past that was great and then I have a all caps moment here which is, the wall has stood through it all, oh. and every winter has ended. Yeah, and may I have feedback on this line that I wrote, Yeah, and that's also in all caps. Oh, so Marwin is trolling here with this be calm thing. The winter stopped because, and this is in all caps, and I quote to myself, people did shit to stop the winter. Yes, and I think that's representative of the Maester's kind of passive view of the world where they're like you know there are always going to be heroes who save people and there are always going to be villains and my job is to sit back and record it all you know i've already called the wall it's gonna fall oh we both did but so now we're moving back to the north um so pot is working on his fighting skills he still is nowhere close to being able to defeat brienne and tormund is given Brienne the serious heart eyes and that like yeah how do you describe his face like the just hunger he's thirsty honestly like so here's the thing I think in the books I'm gonna ship Jamie and Brienne obviously but I think in the show I've gotta say I I now love and approve of Brienne and Tormund oh and I'll, I'll tell you why I'll tell you why it's because Tormund didn't have to go through this long arc of redemption and injury to come around and realize that this woman he had dismissed as an ugly pittance is actually worth his time. Tormund looked at Brienne last season and was like, that's one fine lady and I want her. (laughs) Like, I, you know, at the end of the day, I have to give Tormund a lot of credit for seeing Brienne for who she was, no strings attached. It's, but his life experience was so much different with the wild oh, yeah. women are accepted warriors. Exactly. And I think Brienne deserves someone who loves her no strings attached instead of someone who loves her despite of her looks. A notable absence from Winterfell right now is Robin, who is, I think, still in the veil, but it's weird that Littlefinger would bring his whole army <laughs> and leave the Lord of the Vale at the Vale. <laughs> but, you know, Littlefinger's really running the show, so I suppose it makes sense, and the soldiers still came and fought for him, so... Eh. And also, we'll say in, in the books, it's set up where um, Littlefinger basically leaves Robin in really dangerous situations in terms of training and stuff, with the express intent that he's probably going to die at one one of them. So that, I wouldn't be surprised if Sweet Robin dies off screen and we don't actually see him again. Maybe. So then we move on to probably the most controversial scene I've seen on the internet so far in terms of people's reaction to it. Which one is this? Ed Sheeran. <gasps> no! Well, it's hilarious to me because you and I knew, like, there were headlines like, months ago saying Ed Sheeran makes a cameo in Game of Thrones and literally everyone on my Twitter feed and Facebook who don't pay close attention like we do but I've seen so many reacts that are like oh my god what is Ed Sheeran doing in an episode of Game of Thrones I had to explain this to a friend on Facebook I was like yeah Maisie 
loves him. She's a big fan. David and Dan brought him on as a special guest for Maisie, and he did have an extended scene, unlike some other guest stars that they've had. So, And I thought his singing was lovely. I thought that made sense as to why they would want an actual singer to take on that role. But here's the thing. He didn't say anything. He had no lines. The only thing distracting to us is that we know him from outside of the show. But at the same time, we know a lot of other actors in the show from outside of the show. So it's not like you can say he was distracting because he couldn't act because he's not an actor. And I do not find this choice bad. Yeah, um, I'm just going to echo you. I agree with you 100%. This was not distracting to me. I was just really happy to see Ed. And by the way, he doesn't die in this scene. So yeah. I Although I'm gonna, very happy. I'm going to keep a close eye on all future battles involving Lannisters because it would be just like him probably to want to have a scene where he's lying on a battlefield somewhere. And then I will win because he's still in my death pool. Okay, so we need to actually get to the content of this, which was the song. Parts of the content of this scene. The song is directly from A Song of Ice and Fire. It's the song that Simon Silvertongue is killed for by Tyrion and Bronn since it reveals Tyrion's affair with Shay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so this is another scene where I was not a fan of the dialogue. It just wasn't realistic dialogue to me. I, I, I have a hard time saying why. It just rubbed me the wrong way. Um, one thing that was interesting to me was that a guard of soldiers was just so cool with a single woman traveling on her own. And like, oh yeah, have some of our wine, have some of our and food. Arya finger like handles needle like yeah, kind of to reassure herself. But that's the extent of the any fear that we have. And she looks yeah. at the swords. There are two scenes. Yeah, two quick shots of those. It just to me, this was one of those scenes where it's like, okay, I could see this happening in any other show, but Game of Thrones is too realistic. And then finally, we do get to Arya's mission, which is to kill the queen, which everyone laughed at. Um, including Arya, and that was quite fun. But confirmation that she's headed to King's Landing, which is not what we predicted. We thought she was going north. Yeah. And I still think she's going north because this, there were so many scenes of her in the trailer in snow, and it's not snowing at King's Landing. Yeah. So yeah. we shall see. I, so my prediction now that we're getting a better feel for how the timeline might go is she heads south, sees... She gets deterred somehow. I don't know what that deterrent will be. And then she decides, hey, I better go back north. Mm. I'm ready to move on to this yeah. scene. You should start because I spent this entire scene complaining. This is the so, house scene, right? The hound. Yeah, okay. The hound, yeah. So in this scene, it's the hound, Beric, Thoros, and the remaining quote-unquote good Brotherhood of Outbanners. So they have decided to go north. They are en route. And the house they come upon, this is the house from season four that the Hound and Arya pass through. The Hound is very uncomfortable with this because he recognizes it. He's like, I don't want to go in there. And Beric and Thoros are like, well, I like it. Let's go in and let's stay the night. (laughs) And we see the corpses that are quite decayed at this point. Of the father and the daughter. So this is pretty heavy stuff. But again, this is real Game of Thrones. This is people are going to die because literally it's really hard to survive right now. Showing the cost to the small folk is always something I enjoy. I think it's useful and important. And then um, what I liked about this um, one part of this group of scenes is the hound goes out in the middle of the night and um digs graves again hearkening back to being the grave digger in season six so you've mentioned all the things about the scene i liked (laughs) so Um, i can guess what you didn't (laughs) well can i can i say that uh there are two words that were uttered that made me just roll my eyes and yell at the television and I just hated. Yeah. Top knot. Oh. <laughs> what the actual hell? This is not 2017. I'm covering my eyes. 
It was cringeworthy. It was pandering to a modern audience, which Game of Thrones doesn't do, has never done, and doesn't need to do. Like, <laughs> your hairstyle's a top knot. <laughs> Let me make fun of you, Thoros. Like, that was the dumbest. That is, like, the height of my frustration with the writing in this episode. The way other people were furious about Ed Sheeran making a cameo now compound that, like, times three. That's, that's how I feel about that choice of language. Yeah. My other frustration with this episode is that they're really yeah. going to have to sell me on why Beric and the Lord of Light and this whole plot line with the Hound is so important and worth so much screen time because this was like a solid chunk of episode that they could have spent on other things. Like I thought mm. the Hound repenting for what he'd done, I thought that was a really moving bit, but like the whole part with the logs and the hound seeing into the logs is so out of left field. Like, why are they setting up the hound to see visions in the fire and to maybe believe in the Lord of Light? I just didn't get that it. That wasn't strange to me. The way they filmed it was strange. How he didn't, like, actually, we didn't have the vision in the flames. That's how I would have yeah. liked to have seen it. Instead, we just get yeah, no, the that Hound's was so reaction weird. to the vision, which I think was a little lacking. They're going to meet up with Tormund's wildlings at Eastwatch and be part of that battle. Okay. And then they're going to go south and ask for more buy-in from the Southerners. Okay. We'll see. I just, I don't like my precious screen time wasted on things where I'm like, eh, about, but I know that's a me problem. I also wanted to talk about the Hound's vision here. What we find out is that the White Army, led by the Night's King, Night King, has already passed by the Fist of the First Men, and they're headed towards Eastwatch. So again, this is the second time that we're hearing about Eastwatch in this episode, which mm-hmm. means it's going to happen. We'll see. That's yeah. Now that now that we're getting all of that, I definitely am able to place that northern battle where I said I know that there's going to be a battle in the north or mm-hmm. at the wall, but I don't really know what. So that might also be if John hears that they need help, John might end up going. Ready to move on to Old Town? So Gilly exists and is a thing. I'm glad to see that she's allowed the to The first stay thing there. about this scene is I called it. Oh yes. There would be Sam reading scenes. Oh that's what you're gonna call? <laughs> I, I mean yes. There's something else that you called in book pods. There's a map of Dragonstone, and what he says is it's sitting on top of a mountain of dragon glass. Yeah. And this is something you p- picked out back in one of our book pods. I don't think we've edited and uploaded yet, but I'll have to. I'll have to go find it. Really? Yeah, because you. I didn't remember. I mean, it yeah. makes sense that yeah. there would be dragon glass around Dragonstone. I think it's something where there's like stones under around it or something where you're like, doesn't that sound a lot like obsidian? What if Dragonstone has dragon glass? You, you predicted <gasps> something like that. I remember. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I'm proud that of was exciting. Now. Thank you for stoking you're my welcome. ego. Thanks. Um, Sam and cool. Gilly's conversation was also bad. Like, there was one line where he was like, the dead don't sleep. And it was just like the most cliched, <laughs> like, I guess my problem with it is that Game of Thrones normally sounds like an actual conversation that people might have, even though it's dramatic. And whenever I complain about bad conversation in this episode, it just sounded like something that two writers came up with rather than thinking about how people actually talk with each other. Um, But it is exciting to know that there's a lot of dragon glass and Sam's first instinct is I need to tell uh, John this. So that would be another reason for John to send people to Daenerys because he realizes Daenerys is now in control of the dragon glass. So Mm -hmm. we need to be friends with Daenerys. Yeah, which begs another question. How much does Sam need to learn from these books before Old Town gets blown to sh- shreds by Euron and crew or Lannister and Euron and crew? Yeah. Because this was a big find. And then we see a return of another character who we haven't seen in a while, which is... Jorah. The last time we saw him was him leaving... Danny and Dario in Essos. Yeah, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. And she said, go find a cure, mm-hmm. so I guess that's why he went to Old Town. But a lot of time has passed then, right? 
Yeah, so how long? Jorah's been at the Citadel for a while. So I have some feels about this scene, this group of scenes. Mm -hmm. Number one, let's go to detail-oriented screen-freeze type of situations, which was the book that Sam is reading. So this is one of the books from the restricted section. Um, The same knife in the book's picture that Sam is looking at was this very knife used by the assassin sent to kill Bran. That's such a good detail because we I remember how excited you were in the book when you found out that it had a dragon glass sheath or handle. A or dragon whatever. bone hilt, hilt and a Valyrian steel blade. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this is clearly yeah. talking about dragon a book about dragon elements or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's information on how to forge dragon glass in this book, which we have not seen in the books at all. Mm-hmm. So this is huge as far as like technology is concerned for Westeros and this battle for the wars to come. So how do you forge dragonglass? You use the Valyrians use their dragons and my reference was looking at the screen, blowing it up to my full screen and then zooming in so I could read what they have written on the screen. So this is, you know, legit. They use their dragons to make the stone molten and then put it in the sword molds. Since Shora is in the Citadel, what are we learning a lot about? Grayscale is probably going to have something to do with dragon glass. Shireen didn't have dragon fire, but she did have dragon glass because she grew up on dragon stone. Yeah. So that That's was true, my... It, it stopped her dragon, or her grayscale. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That makes so much sense that I had not put that together. So thanks for clearing that. Yeah, again, that's just a guess. I I can't no, say No, that makes for perfect sure. sense. Uh, ready to move on to good old Dragonstone, which is the title of this episode? Oh. And I will say before that happens, I think it's really cool that even though um, the obvious intention of the title is Daenerys' homecoming, we do get mentions of it where... Um, Cersei, is it Cersei who's talking about it with Jamie? Where she is like, where will she land? Yes, it was Jamie. And they realize it. it'll be drag. Yeah, so we get it introduced in that scene, and then John talks about dragon glass, and then Sam figures out that there's dragon glass on Dragonstone. So they always find a way to make a, a episode title mean more than just the obvious, and so that was good. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so this music. I love the Targaryen music theme so much. It's got this cool, just unnerving dissonance in it, but it's also majestic and proud at the same time. Uh, It's just like the greatest music. I love it. What stood out for me was the drums. Yeah. That was was goosebumps. This was like a war theme. Yeah. And I loved in the um, inside the episode afterwards where they talked about the fact that they wanted to give her silence out of respect mm-hmm. in the scene. Mm-hmm. So there's no dialogue. They couldn't have screwed it up with dialogue. It was perfect. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I cried here. I didn't cry. A lot. <laughs> well, I have I cried. a stone heart. You do. I cried. Um I did laugh a little bit at the fact that the gates were so easy to open. They just, like, walked up and were like, here we are. Open them up. Okay, that's fine. We can believe that. Um, and then there's the she rips the Stannis thing down. Um, and then can we talk about that throne room? Beautiful. Oh, my God. Did we ever I see that with Stannis? Because I did not remember that. I don't remember. This This whole room was just so beautiful, and I was really, I don't know. I was just really moved by it, and I think it's prettier than the Iron Throne, so maybe mm. she'll keep this one instead. It was so dramatic. What yeah. I appreciated about it was that we could see during Stannis' time there the dragons, but this time was literally the camera lingered on all the dragon details of the castle. Yeah. I, I thought that scene was really funny where they're all giving her space and then Grey, jo- or, uh, Grey Worm tries to follow her. And they're like, no, dude, 
Um, so this was just like a really, I feel like it was a really humble scene, humbling scene for the fandom who's been waiting so long for Daenerys to get home, to get back to Westeros. Mm. And so it was a great way to end. And then her last three words, shall we begin? Yeah. <sighs> just, um, and also with this whole group of scenes as she's walking through, you notice how barren the castle is. It's not lit. The torches are all knocked over in the throne room. And so she's just walking through with, you know, her very, very small crew. Did you happen to see who all was with her at Dragonstone? Um, Masandai, Grey Worm, Tyrion, the two guards. I did not see Varys. And I did no Yara and no Theon, who were with her when she left. See, that's, that's what I was confused about. Because I also, I'll give you that I did not go back and watch for the sole purpose of seeing who was with her because I was so entranced mm -hmm. in these scenes by watching Amelia Clark be absolutely mm -hmm. gorgeous and perfect. Um, so I do kind of want to go back and see if Yara and Theon and Varys are with her just like in the background no. heavily of scenes because it doesn't make sense to me that they're not there. So I have a theory about this. Did they go to Dorne on their own? I so I think they're going to where wherever that battle is, the naval battle. And so that's why they're not okay. there because Euron, their showdown with Euron will be then. And that and so they couldn't be there. So is the timeline such that she knows that that battle is going to happen somehow? Um, she, she knows know that? that, well, Yara and Theon would have told her. So Euron, they already told her, like, Euron wants us dead. We have to go fight. So they're... But how do they know where? They probably don't know where, but I mean, if they wanted to take the fight to King's Landing with the Dragonstone. But then how does Yara end up in uh, Dorne making out with Ilaria? Uh, maybe they're maybe they're Which going we saw to Dorne. in the trailer. The timeline is very I don't know. Is wide open. I think that's fair yeah. to say. But good observation. Interesting. Yeah. So Ending this episode, um, scale of 1 to 10, where are you going to put it? Well, there is some real questions that I had that I don't feel like I normally have in a Game of Thrones episode, which is kind of disappointing. But there were a lot of cool factors. So, um, I think our baseline Game of Thrones episode is probably, what, Six, seven? Yeah, on average I would give most episodes about a six or a seven. Hmm, I'm going to have to go six. But I know this was a setup episode, so I'm mm -hmm. willing to... So I appreciate it for that. And I know there's more action coming. I know there's more dialogue and more exposition going to happen. So, yes. So given that it is a first episode, I will say I think it had a lot more exciting plot, um, especially given that whole Frey massacre mm -hmm. is not something you would normally find in an episode one. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I thought that there were a lot of intriguing plots introduced, and I thought it was great at being a setup episode. Um, however, the sloppiness of the writing and some of the details that just really confused me um and the dialogue that I could not stand will bring it to a I will round it up to a six just because of the Aria scene okay fair I was going to say just because we don't like some things doesn't mean that other things are excellent like you just said the CGI as always was beautiful especially with Dragonstone the Stone. acting was phenomenal yes I love you all actors like and then on our death toll, I think we both are kind of striking out this episode. Plus, there was not a lot of death. There, oh, just a massacre. But that was one isolated incident and one family. Yeah. Uh, so, Kate, if people want to listen to us and interact with us and yell at us and tell us why we're wrong, <laughs> how can they do or so? Or tell us when we're right, because we appreciate both. You can... Catch us on Twitter, which is at King's Landing Pod. 
but you can also email us if you have longer form questions or longer form commentary and that's kingslandingpod at gmail.com so please feel free to reach out we've started to get some feedback on our episodes um book we have one review yeah so that's very exciting and we hope to see more <laughs> the good and the bad please yes Hit us up. thanks so much everyone and as always we drink and we know things cheers <laughs>